Welcome, Scott. So good to have you back. Yeah, it's good to be here. Good to see you again, Anne. Thanks for having me and giving me an opportunity to serve alongside you in your ministry. Uh, well, I greatly appreciate it. We value your thoughts and your opinions and your convictions. So um, I would love for you to tell the audience a little bit about yourself and about why you would even say yes to talking about a marriage event. So can you tell them? Sure. So I'm a senior pastor. We've been in Southwest Washington for uh, since 2010. Uh, my wife and I grew up together in California. Uh, she's expecting our ninth child. I do some speaking and I publish some books. Uh, my first book was on marriage and it opened some doors for me to put on marriage conferences and uh, do guest speaking and preaching on marriage. So it's always been a topic I'm very passionate about. And so when you reached out to me some time ago and asked me to uh, be involved, I was thrilled. I've you know, talked about marriage probably more than I've done anything else or preached on anything else. And then also most of my counseling, I still do an amount of counseling, even as the preaching pastor. And most of the counseling, as you might guess, is marriage counseling. So, Well, that's great because uh, our marriages need that support, both uh, from a from the church, from your pastor, and sometimes some psychological support as well uh, from a great Christian perspective. And so I really appreciate the work that you do. I really appreciate the, the time and effort. I know that your heart is to serve. And so the fact that you are meeting with couples is beautiful. And as we're thinking about as a pastor speaking to the audience today, you know, the concept of um, spiritual leadership in the home is uh, a really important topic for the family, that really having that spiritual leadership in the right perspective can be supportive to every member of the family uh, long term, right? So um, that's what we get to talk about today, right? And so we wanted to talk a little bit about what it looks like for men to be the spiritual leader. What does that really look like? Very good. So there's a short answer and then a longer answer. So the real short answer is it looks like being like Christ, right? For a man <laughs> to be a spiritual leader, simply put, is to be to his wife what Christ is to the church. And so the same love, gentleness, sacrifice, kindness that Christ showed to his bride, to each of us, that agape love, there's uh, one of the weaknesses of the English language is we have one word for love. I'm so I say I love my wife. I love popcorn. I love wrestling. I use the same word. Obviously, everyone hopes I love my wife differently than I love popcorn, or even a di- yeah, a different love that I have toward my children. Um, the the Greek ha- Greek language had multiple words for love. There's the family love that you might feel toward your children or friends, phileo, and then agape is that sacrificial, unconditional love that loves even when it's not reciprocated. That's the love that Christ had toward us. He has loved us uh, even while we were yet sinners, when we were not loving him. And in that sense, it was unconditional, sacrificial, obviously him dying on the cross for us. And then we as husbands are called, Ephesians 5.25, to love our wives with that same love with which Christ loves us. And then also he's the spiritual head, uh, spiritual leader of the church. As I'm, a, I'm a pastor, but I'm an under-shepherd to the chief shepherd. But still, Christ is that spiritual leader to the church. Uh, that we're all looking to, and at the same, uh, in the same fashion, husbands are to be those spirit, spiritual leaders in their homes, to their families, and to their wives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, why do you think? I know this is a big issue. So sometimes we end up with um, husbands who kind of put their lives on pause, or put their spiritual life on pause, and just kind of go through the motions. Sometimes we end up with wives who decide he's not doing a good enough job and try to take over, and there, there's this dynamic that can occur. 
from either abdication or, or anxiety on, and, and taking over on the woman's part. So why do you think that men can struggle sometimes with this being a spiritual leader? Mm-hmm. Very good. Uh, I think we have the answer back at the fall. Uh, Genesis 3, we see when sin was introduced into the world, God uh, criticized Adam. Uh, we know that his sin was eating the fruit, but in that same discussion, God said, because you heeded the voice of your wife and he failed to lead. Uh, kind of what you're describing there, Eve usurped authority. She took the, the role of the head, you might say, and Adam then submitted to Eve and God criticized him. Uh, for that, and then we see some of the same problems other places in Scripture. You know, when Sarah leads Abraham to have a child with her mistress, when Jezebel leads Ahab to then murder Naboth, in both of those situations, we see God still holding the man responsible. But the the simple answer is because we have the flesh, we live in a sinful world, and men are going to struggle with passivity at times. And so just, um, you know, an observation most of the obviously there are women who are who are abused. We're not minimizing it. We're, we are uh, appreciating the seriousness of the sin when a man is abusive to a woman, whether physically, emotionally, mentally, uh, spiritually. But the majority of criticisms I've received from women have not been that my husband uh, is abusive, but the main criticism I've heard is my husband will not lead. I wish my husband would pray with us. I wish my husband would take me to church. I wish my, wish my husband would read the word with me. And so, yes, there are uh, terrible situations of when, women being abused, but it's also unfortunate when men won't lead and be the spiritual leader that God has, has called us to be. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So let's, let's pause for a second here and, and kind of describe, like when you think about spiritual headship or you think about spiritual leadership as the husband, what, what does that look like? Like if we, mm-hmm. Day in the life, you know, what does that look like for a family in an ideal yeah. situation? Yeah, very good question. So we have the command in the probably most well-known marriage passage, Ephesians 5, that talks that the command husbands to love their wives. I quoted it earlier. And so you could almost wonder, well, if that's the command for husbands, why are there any verses after it? You know, why doesn't the chapter or the passage end right at Ephesians 5.25? But it goes all the way down to verse 33. And the reason is that verse 25, so you say, well, then are there a whole bunch of different commands? Not really. There's one command in verse 25 for husbands to love their wives as Christ loves the church. And then the following verses, 26 down to verse 32, verse 33, where it says that, um, you know, uh, let let a husband love his wife and let the wife respect her husband is more kind of a summary verse. But those verses between 26 and 32 are actually describing what it looks like for a husband to love his wife as Christ loves the church. I've talked to many husbands. I've put on marriage conferences. I've had men come up to me afterward. I think we project ourselves on other people. And so I have plenty of weaknesses as a husband. I failed many times. I'm ashamed of of different things. Uh, But I feel like leader. I'm a little more type A personality. And so that has come a little easier to me. And so I forget because I'll project myself on others, the nervousness or fear, intimidation some men feel to pray with their wives or read the word with their wives. I've had men come up to me after conferences and say, you know, I'm listening to you and I want to do those things. But I am terrified to be the spiritual leader that you're describing. And so maybe I got a little ahead of myself, but so verse 25 gives the command and then the following verses describe what it looks like. And so if I just read the following, so verse 25, husbands love your wife as Christ loved the church, gave himself for her. And then, well, you say, what does that look like? Because, you know, many, no husband wants to be a bad husband, but, but many husbands don't know what it looks like, spiritually speaking, or in God's eyes to be a good husband. So a man could be a great husband in the world's eyes. 
He can buy his wife expensive stuff, put her in a a mansion, take her on exotic vacations. But that doesn't mean he's going to be a good husband in God's eyes. And similarly, a husband could be a good husband in God's eyes and perhaps be a poor husband in the world's eyes. And so obviously what we want is to be good husbands in God's eyes. So what does that look like? Well, Paul goes on to describe that. And he says that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. So it's talking about what Christ does with with the church. But because this is the marriage passage, he's talking about what husbands should do with our wives. And so there's really no way around the responsibility we have as husbands to do what that says and wash our wives with the word. And the other thing that's really interesting is the beginning of the verse, it says that he might sanctify her. So I'm, I'm definitely not completely responsible for my wife's sanctification. She's a free moral agent. She, she can make choices. There are times, you know, she can give into the flesh and uh but i'm partially responsible for my wife's sanctification it's a very sobering reality that someday when my wife stands before the lord i will have been at least partially responsible for her sanctification that's one of the primary um you know ways i can be to, to my wife what christ is to the church and then we're told how this sanctification takes place it says cleansing her by the washing of water by the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. And so we have that responsibility toward our wives, and that's accomplished by um, how can we expose or wash our wives with the word? Well, obviously, we can take them to Bible teaching, Bible preaching churches. It's very unfortunate when there are husbands that spend the Lord's day, you know, at home, whether they're watching football or doing something else. Uh, that's one of the most foundational, simplest things for husbands to do. There's home fellowships or Bible studies husbands can take their wives to. Katie, she does this. I don't really have any, um, don't, couldn't take any credit for this, but, but, uh, wives can play the Bible in their home while they're walking around. I mean, we, we have unimaginable, there's no time in history where people have had as much access to the Word of God as we do now. You know, you can listen to it on your phone, play it on your little, headset when you're driving there's we we can be washed with the word regularly and then obviously i think husbands should read the word with their wives and one of the beautiful things about this is just consider this part of the verse that says so that he christ might present the church to himself in splendor so what that verse is basically meaning is christ gets the church that he prepares for himself but because this is a marriage passage and it's looking speaking to husbands it's also saying that husbands get the wives we prepare for ourselves. If a husband is going to be sanctifying and cleansing his wife, what is he going to get? He's going to get a sanctified and a cleansed wife. There have been times when husbands have come into my office and they've just been furious, you know, with the way their wife is treating them or acting. And they're kind of, you know, just trashing her up one side and down the other. And he doesn't know that I'm kind of looking at him and I'm thinking, would your, would your wife act this way? If you had been treating her better, would your wife be acting this way if you had had been praying with her, if you had been reading the word with her? It, it sounds to me like your wife hasn't really been sanctified and cleansed by the word if she's acting as terribly as you're describing. And so, husband, I mean, we reap what we sow in many areas of life, but one of the most um, one of the most applicable places for that verse is in the marriage relationship. And so there was one time. And I, I don't know if I'm answering too long for this question. You can interrupt me if I am. But one time, Kate and I were having this argument, and she's attended most, I think, all of my marriage conferences except for one. She can finish many of my um, sentences for me. And she she still says she feels convicted and challenged when she attends. So my point is simply that she's still listening. She says she lo- loves to go to them with me. 
but she, because she's so familiar with my messages, can quote back to me the things that I've said. That's very difficult as a husband when your wife can tell you the things that you have preached to all these other people. So one time we were having this argument, and Katie said to me, she said, you know, I wasn't like this, or not as badly. Or I think she said I wasn't like this before we got married. And I knew her in high school, and I had to acknowledge that Katie had become had inherited one of my weaknesses. I had, I had, she had become worse in a way because of her relationship to me. And there, and my flesh flared up. I wanted to deny it. And, and she said to me, she said, you've said this so many marriage conferences. A husband gets the wife he prepared for himself. You're getting what you've prepared for yourself. You don't like me doing this, but I've become more like this. And I was like, oh, that was ultra convicting, but it was absolutely true. Uh, some of my sin had rubbed off on, on Katie. So I do, I am convinced that we do get the husband, the wives that we prepare for ourselves. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that story. That's a great story. And I love the way that you, you're, you maybe flared up, but here you are sharing it in humility, right? (laughs) If you recognize, okay, there's that you have that humble heart and that she was able to share that with you, that she was able to be vulnerable enough with you to say, Hey, this is what I'm seeing. And it's incongruent. So those are beautiful things to, to happen. So when a husband and wife washes his wife with the word, you know, especially thinking about situations where maybe the husband does isn't your type A personality, right? Where he's really struggling with uh, she's she's better at praying than I am. She's better at teaching the kids the Bible than I am. She's better at picking the church than I am. You know, fill in the blank and speak to them personally, like just kind of man to man for a second here and. Let them know how how can they get through this? How do they get over that hump? I, I will be the first to say that I I can only uh, suppose or guess why it is this way. But many many times a woman is more spiritual than her husband, just like you're saying. It seems that God has given women uh, a sensitivity spiritually. I've met many women who know the word better than their husbands. Are good, can articulate it well are more familiar with it. And I don't just mean because they got saved earlier. I just mean they've committed more of their lives to reading the word. They're more interested in the word of God. And so then, yeah, you have this pretty difficult dynamic or tension where there's a woman who's more spiritually mature than her husband, but he's the one who's expected to lead. And so sometimes when we come to God's word, we're forced to embrace it, walk by faith, we're not supposed, we don't intuitively get to say, well, this doesn't make sense. I don't like this. I'm going to do it this way. And so the question isn't, well, should we swap roles? We know we shouldn't. God has called husbands to lead, whether the wife knows the word better or not. So the actual question is, well, what can we do about this situation that we're facing right now? Mm-hmm. And I would encourage, I would encourage, I have encouragements for husbands and for wives here. I've had many husbands tell me, I don't know if I can read the word with my wife. And I'll say, if you can read, then you can read the word with your wife, okay? So you don't need to have put on a Billy Graham crusade. It doesn't have to be a John MacArthur sermon. Most men are not in the position that I'm in. They do not get to study the Bible 30 hours a week and teach it every week. And so they're not going to – many men are working very hard to take care of their families. There are obviously some deadbeat husbands, but I don't need a lot of those. Most men are are very hardworking. They are very diligent. They come home exhausted. They have things to do around the house. They're also trying to be fathers. And, and so then to expect them on top of that to sound like that Bible teacher on the radio or to sound like their pastor. And so you made, you made a great point, Anne, that many husbands fear not sounding as spiritual or being as spiritual as their wives. 
And that's true. And there's also husbands who fear not sounding like their pastor at church, not sounding like that guy on the radio. What happens when I pray and I fumble my words? What happens when I'm reading the Bible and I can't answer this question or I don't understand this verse? And so for the husband, I would say that you've got to kind of challenge yourself. You've got to step out there. You've got to commit to reading the word with your family and, and make it simple. Just begin in a verse, read that, maybe go around the room. We, we have a lot of children. They can't all read yet, but have one child read a verse and then the next, the next child and say something like, what do you think this is saying? And just open it up like that. It doesn't have to be a sermon. It's actually much better when it's interactive. And so don't, don't have a real high bar in your mind. Most men are thinking way too, have a, uh, the standard they set is way, way uh, above what God would really expect of them. There's, now the encouragement for the wife is this. Basically what I said, your husband is not a pastor. He's working hard to care for your family. Don't expect a John MacArthur sermon from him. There was a couple I was counseling some years ago, and he wasn't being a spiritual leader, and she was a spiritual woman who really wanted him to be a spiritual leader. And I was convinced because she was asking for this more than she was asking for anything else. He was a very nice, gentle man. He was not abusive. And she was crying out for him to be the spiritual leader that she cov- that she craved. And so, and I knew her. She has a strong personality. She's a, she's a uh, wonderful woman. And I said, you're, you're going to have to do this, brother. You're going to have to read the word of your wife. And I really think it's going to um, help your marriage considerably. So he comes back a couple weeks later and I said, and I was, and he said, well, I read the word with my, with my wife, like you said. And I was thrilled. And I said, well, how did it go? And he said, I was, he said, I hated it. it. It basically caused more problems than we were having before. And I was like, absolutely shocked. And I said, well, why is that? And he said, every single thing I said, she challenged, she questioned, she criticized. Um, she said, I don't think that's how you pronounce that. I don't think that's, you know, maybe you should ask the pastor at church. And so I, I understand, um, you know, that if a husband is saying something wrong or teaching something wrong from the word that it's going to, and if the, word, the wife knows that's wrong, it's going to be, it's going to be very difficult for her to let him say something that's incorrect. And I'm not even saying that she should. I'm not saying that she can't offer a suggestion or criticism, but I am, I would say this to the wives. For every withdrawal you make, you have to make a bunch of deposits. For everything discouraging, you have to make sure that there's been a lot of encouragement because otherwise your husband is going to be too afraid to read the word with you. Now, one time real early in our relationship, Katie and I weren't even married yet, and I knew she was this, you know, deeply spiritual woman, loved the Lord. I really wanted to impress her. And so I put together this super long, confusing, kind of ridiculous Bible study uh, it probably was evident to her that I just wanted, to, you know, to impress her. And I don't think it made much sense. And it kind of finished. And I remember thinking, man, that was just super bad. And uh, we didn't really talk about it. But then later, um, I heard her on the phone with her best friend. And she told her, I'm, I'm so thankful to have a man that will read the Bible with me. And I just felt so encouraged by that. But even though I had done a very poor job, she had still, you know, not made me feel worse and had appreciated that. And so that's where... I think a wife does play a large part in her husband being a spiritual leader, that she does come behind him and that she does support him and encourage him, that she does recognize how difficult, how terrified many men are just to pray with their families. As you said, many men, especially if a wife is a very spiritual woman, he's going to be even more intimidated. And so the wife, when, you know, when the wife prays, she can put her hand on his leg. She can Say, Lord, thank you for this man. Thank you for a man that will pray with me. Thank you for a man that will read the Bible with me. And and one of the nice things that's happened is men typically live up to or down to 
the bar that a wife sets. So if a woman will say something, will pray and say, Lord, thank you for this husband who will read the word with me. Thank you for this husband that will take me to church. What's that husband going to want to do? He's going to want to be that man. But if she's constantly chopping him down or criticizing him, then he's going to end up kind of living down to that, to that standard as well. And I would say that, I mean, I, I'm, Katie's not a, a perfect wife. Um, I don't want to, you know, make any, why make it sound that way by any means, but she is very encouraging to me, and I would say I do want to be the husband that she makes it sound like I am, if that makes sense. I do want to be a better husband for her. So yeah, That makes sense. She's not the perfect wife, but she's the perfect wife for you, God says so. <laughs> I, yeah, I would agree with that. Well said, Anne. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and I love um, I love it because when you're talking about this dynamic, even um, you know when you were talking about the wife needing to put more deposits in, right, it's not that, that she has a muzzle. Right. But that she's putting deposits in that she's and what the research tells us in this area. And I just love a good science reflects bad glory. But the research tells us in this is that when what shows the longevity of a marriage or, or one of the evidence of a long the marriage is going to last is um, the way that we respond to good news. Right. So that encouragement, it's not the way you respond to bad news, but the way we respond to good news. And so that sense of encouraging and building up. Another thing that the research tells us is that that a marriage can't be resolved or fixed if the partner, one of the partners doesn't feel believed in. Hmm. So, so this idea of, you know, being an encourager when, Hey, they, they read the Bible. That's, that's some good news. They read the Bible with me. Let's, let's, let's encourage him on that. Or, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever the case may be, the research even supports again, good science reflects God's glory. The, the research shows that, these things really prove the people who even in the world stay married the longest are the ones that are doing these things that are celebrating the wins, celebrating the good news, the ones that are believing each other faithfully over a long haul. And so when you're talking about this dynamic and spiritual leadership, you know, I think about your leader and, and, you know, I think about the way I lead my team. I, I can't do it all. Right. And so a spiritual leader to feel like he's got to take the whole weight of everything. It's got to feel pretty heavy if he doesn't recognize that he's got a team, right? That he's got a team that he's leading, right? And so this, this um, doesn't know how to pronounce a word in scripture that he's reading. Why not ask the team if one of them, no, maybe their kids learned in Sunday school, you know, why not? Because the reality is that each one of us has been created in God's image and yet we're all so different. Right. Mm-hmm. So I'm of the belief that there were all so different because that's how complex God is. And so within the family system, we have mm-hmm. all these different aspects of God showing up. Right. Mm-hmm. The husband, the father, he's the spiritual leader, and he can use all these other resources that aren't like him mm-hmm. to support that leadership. So it's not mm-hmm. weighing on his shoulders. Yeah. Yeah. And I think earlier I was talking about a wife encouraging her husband, but the encouragement goes both ways. I'll give you an example. It's not with a, you mentioned children. This wasn't with a husband to his wife, although I, I am convinced that the same problem was also happening with the husband to the wife. But I was talking to a daughter who has now become a mother. And so she, we're not talking like a 12 year old here who's insecure and unsure of herself. We're talking about a grown woman who's now had one at least or maybe two children. And she was sharing with me all these terrible insecurities she has. Uh, she's afraid to talk to people. She has this social anxiety. Mm-hmm. And as we were talking, uh, she shared with me, and I knew her father. She said, I think a lot of it has to do with how I grew up. Every time I would sh- say something or I would pray, my father would kind of say, 
well, you know, that's nice. I kind of pat her on the head. Now, now let me go ahead and pray and show you how you're supposed to pray. So she always felt like she was being chopped down. She was never good enough. And I, and so the father has a huge res, uh, responsibility. I mean, there's a huge influence that he has to encourage his wife and children. I mean, here there's this woman in her twenties who's a mother and she's still struggling because her father always made her feel like she wasn't praying well enough. It, it affects all of her relationships. And so, yeah, but it's a good, it's a wonderful thing when a husband or a father, a child shares something or the wife shares something and, and says, you know, that's wonderful. Thanks for sharing that. That's a great, great contribution. That's very insightful. My wife, I think, I think she's a really spiritual woman. She's had lots of, she's, she's answered many of my children's questions in ways that I looked and, and I thought, I don't think I would have answered that as well. She thought of some things that I, I would not have thought of. I mean, the, the Bible, uh, Genesis 2.18, it says, God looks at man and he says, it is not good for him to be alone. I will make him a helper. And very unfortunately, many women sort of take offense at that verse. They think that it's a criticism of women or they don't want to be called a helper. But it's actually the opposite of the way that some people view it. That verse is an acknowledgement of man's inadequacy. That verse is about man's insufficiency. And man, it's almost like God looks and says, you know, it's not good for man to be alone. He's not going to make it. I need to give him a wife because this guy is going to struggle or he's going to fail. And then God provides this helper that's going to allow the husband to to succeed or, or you know, to be uh, completely everything God desires him to be. So the woman is the one who's almost shown as the one to come along here and rescue or save the situation. So no woman should take offense. If anything, maybe a guy would be the one that would say, hey, God's kind of criticizing me here, which in a, in a sense, is this the same title the Holy Spirit is given? He's our, Jesus called the Holy Spirit our helper in John um, 14 and 16. Then obviously throughout the Psalms, God is called our helper. And so, yeah, there's, there's no reason that a woman should ever buck against that, that term or title. Yeah, well, you know, and I keep going on in my mind. It's one another, one another, one another is over and over in the scripture and it applies in all of our relationships. And in the Bible, some relationships are addressed directly. And here we're talking about that relationship. So, yeah, that's that's so fun. Um, Yeah. So what well, we kind of talked about it a little bit already, but. When um, a husband is in a position, well, actually, let's do it both ways. When a husband's in a position where he's not really leading, um, there's I get two part question. One, what can the wife do to help him? We talked a little bit about some things. And for the husband, maybe he knows he's not leading. And what can he do to maybe get support from his wife, you know, in a way that that's still leading? Does that make sense? I think so, and if I don't answer fully, feel free to to rephrase the question. So, I, first, I'll say what a wife shouldn't do, and then what a wife should do. So, if a if a husband is not uh, being a spiritual leader, praying, reading the Word, taking her to church, or the things that she would desire, she shouldn't criticize him. Yes, he's wrong, and and but that's not going to help him become everything she desires by criticizing him. But what she there are two things she can do. She can ask him. And tell him how much it would mean to her. And she can say, I, you know, I'd really love it if you prayed with me. I would, I would really love it if we could go to church together. I, I would really love it if we could read the word together. If he still won't, then she should go to church. She should pray. She should read the word and she should let her Christ-like example, Christ-like example convict her husband. I generally think men hide conviction. They try, they act like it's not there. I would encourage the wives. But I do think the hand of God is heavy on the husband who has to see his wife 
praying, reading the Bible, being spiritual when he's not, when he knows that God wants him to, to be a spiritual man. And I, I would say that she can try to share things that she finds that are exciting and say, hey, I'll j- I just want to let you know I was reading this in the Bible this morning. It really encouraged me. I hope it encourages you too. Or just to say, hey, I just, I know you're having a tough day or things are difficult. I just want to let you know that I'm, I'm praying for you. Um, so her example, that's what, that's what first Peter three one says that it's, I know it's about a wife being married to an unbelieving husband, but I would say that by extension, it would also apply that a, that a wife's example would win a husband who's not, who is a believer, but might just be kind of an unspiritual one, that it's going to be him seeing Christ through her that is going to convict him and burden him to give him the nudge, hopefully that he needs. Um, and I, it would be a, it'd be wonderful if I could tell every wife that if she has an unsaved husband or a spiritually passive husband, that he's going to become everything that she has desired. That might not be the case. But the nice thing is, God is not going to hold a wife responsible for her husband's behavior. He's only going to hold her responsible for how she responds. She'll stand before the Lord someday, and, and if she has been faithful, then she'll be rewarded for her faithfulness. God is not going to say, well, your husband didn't do these things, and that, that's your fault. Now, if there's a husband, it kind of, it, were you going to say something? Go ahead, Anne. Yeah, if you don't mind, I want to, before I move husband, I just want to, um, this idea of judgment, right? So you're talking about criticism. What criticism really is is judgment, right? So mm-hmm. this is, I think, some place that we can get tripped up, um, kind of get stuck in religious processes versus getting really deep into what is God telling us here, right? Because we can look at um, this is what God's structure is, and this is what's supposed to be happening. And so when we're talking about a wife being critical, what she's really doing is she's looking at what's supposed to be happening, and she's judging her husband. But what does Jesus say about the judge? It's not the wife, right? Um, and so when we find ourselves in either case, but in this case we'll talk about the wife, you know, with this position of judgment, that's not a God-honoring position. No matter how much we are praying, reading the Bible, serving at church, teaching the kids, all of those things, if our position is looking in judgment on our husband, when we know that God is the one that judges, right? Mm-hmm. It should be in relationship. And when we're in relationship, then we're, we're actually leaning in instead. Instead of going, well, you should be leading, we're saying, I would really like, right, mm-hmm. what you just said. And that's that's where we can change the way that that shows up within the marriage dynamic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. That is what she's doing. She's judging. She's saying, you're not doing what I think you should do. You're not doing the things that God wants you to do. She's criticizing him. I don't think that that is uh, particularly productive. But I will say this. I think there's a real time for a woman to share her heart and be vulnerable with her husband and to say, you know, when you did this, it hurt me. When you did this, <clears throat> it, it really made it hard for me to trust you. Um, I, it's not to say that there's never a point or place in which we would, um, if you want to say, criticize each other. There was one time when I was doing something that had really hurt Katie. And she was going to have our first child, Rhea, and she broke down. And she really let me see her heart. And I feel like she was pretty, I don't know if I'd say brutal. She was honest with me. And I thought, I have really hurt my wife. And I really, and she did criticize me, and I appreciate it. But she wasn't trying to hurt me. She wanted what was best for me, and she was just sharing this hurt. And she didn't want to see our marriage continue this way, especially with us having our first child. And so I really appreciated her telling me how she felt about the things I was doing. But I almost think that's one of the differences. I could tell that she was for me, she was for our marriage, for our family, and she wasn't just speaking out of her anger, trying to be vindictive or cruel. 
Right. And, and so, and I think there can be the same with a husband where he shares with his wife and says, you know, when you said that I felt disrespected, there have been times when Katie and I, the, actually, if you look at the Amplified, all of the places in the Bible where a wife is commanded to submit to her husband, if you read those same verses in the Amplified Bible, it also says she's to adapt to him. And it's, and this is kind of common sense. We're all learning our spouse. We're learning what our spouse likes, doesn't like. And so, for example, I don't know if it seems in these interviews like I'm talking very quickly. If it doesn't, it's because my wife has helped me. I used to talk very quickly, and when I'd be preaching, Katie would actually sit near the aisle so she could lean out in the aisle and with her hands go like this, telling me to slow down. That's okay. And there were, and so, and there were times when I would be sharing a story and Katie knew that it was not appropriate, and she would go like this to me. And people would see her doing this when I was preaching. And some people, some people went to Katie and they, and I'm getting, I'm getting to a point with this, but some people would go to Katie and they'd say, I cannot believe that you're doing this to your husband while he's preaching or telling him to slow down. And she, and some people would come to me and they'd say, Hey, do you see your wife doing these? Well, it looks pretty rude. And I'm like, I find it very helpful. So other men might find that rude. I found it helpful. Well, we need to learn our spouse. And mm-hmm. so if, if there's something that your husband finds to be disrespectful, then try not to do that. You know, if there's something your wife finds to be hurtful, then uh, try not to do that. And so if it was, and so that's to get to the encouragement that I would have for the husband. If the husband isn't leading spiritually, I might ask him why. Is it because of something, um, not that this is an excuse, but is it something that your wife's doing? Does she criticize kind of what we talked about earlier? Does she quit criticizing you too much? Does she, she question and doubt everything you say? Is she putting everything up? If that's the case, then I would tell the husband, Maybe your wife doesn't know how she's coming across. As gently as you can, share with her that this is how it makes you feel, that you're afraid to open the Bible with her because you're afraid that she's going to act this way when you do. Um, and so there, and there are times I've shared things with Katie and I said, you know, when we were out there with those people and we were hanging out and you said that, I, it kind of, I felt disrespected. I felt like you were mocking me a little bit and I could tell she was surprised. She had no idea she was, she was causing me to feel that way and then she felt really bad. But sometimes, we can all be oblivious. We can all be unaware of how our, our actions are causing others to feel. And so we have a responsibility to share with people and say, but to do it gently and say, when you did this, this is, this is how it made me feel so that the person would hopefully, um, you know, respond well to that. And if it doesn't have anything to do with the wife, if the, if the husband just isn't being the spiritual leader that he's supposed to be, well, then I would probably challenge him and, and just let him know, say, Hey, I know it's, I know it's difficult. But this is one of the highest callings that God has on you and, and on me. Uh, let's pray for each other. Let's support each other. So, and some men, hopefully they're plugged into a local church. Maybe there's an elder in the church that can come alongside and provide some discipling. Maybe there's um, someone that's older and more mature who can be, who can assist that husband and help him and follow up with him and kind of keep, help him along in that journey in those, in those early, uh, taking those early steps to go in the right direction, basically. Yes. And I think that, again, points out that whole one another. So, so often when a marriage is really having a tough time, they're isolated. They're not really plugged into the church, right? They're more, they might attend on Sunday. They might even attend a Bible study, but does anybody in that Bible study really know the struggles that they're dealing with? And so being plugged in and being one anothering so that you have people that can see your blind spots, that can encourage you and strengthen you. And I love the way that I, over and over again with your stories with Katie, what I'm hearing is vulnerability, honesty, communication, humility. And these are so important to being able to 
lean in in the marriage relationship and create a marriage that's really uh, the bedrock for the family, right? Yeah, there was a there was a friend of mine. He's he got married a few years ago. He's in his thirties, and it seemed like he just wasn't, you know, starting to wonder if he's ever going to get married. And he met this woman, and he really liked her. But he said, I I I feel like she's pretty rude to me. And I said, well, just share that with her. I mean, if you're thinking about spending your life with her, then just <laughs> let her know that. <laughs> I mean, let her know that. You, you feel this way when she acts that way. And he said, well, I, you know, I don't really want to. And I said, well, why don't, why not? And he said, cause I'm afraid that when I share that with her, she's going to make fun of me. And I said, if you're thinking of marrying a woman, and this would be the same for a woman with a man, if you're thinking of marrying someone and you cannot even be honest with her about how her behavior causes you to feel, then I really do not think that you should marry her unless you see a serious change, because what that means is you're going to have to enter marriage and not be the things that you just applauded honest, transparent, vulnerable with each other. And all those things are needed from from both sides. Even the marriage passage I was talking about earlier, it begins at verse 22, commanding wives to submit to their husbands. But verse 21, which I do understand this can be a little confusing to people at times, it talks about submitting to one another. And it's not talking about husbands and wives. I mean, it is it is talking about husbands and wives, but it's actually talking about all brothers and sisters in Christ. You have frequently in this interview mentioned the one another's. That by the New Testament especially is filled with all of these one another commands, which I think is wonderful. And like you said, when people are not plugged into the church, they're removing themselves from one of the greatest graces that God has to work in their lives. So if people, when people are in a church, they have no idea of the, what they're missing out on, of how they're shortchanging their spiritual growth, how they're shortchanging their marriage being strengthened and family being strengthened because they're preventing um, the church from being to them what God desires it to be. And they're preventing the church from working in their lives the way that God has designed the church to work in the lives of, of each of us. So I know that you have an offer for our audience. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes. Yeah, so if people want to find more information about me, they can go to my website, scottlapierre.org. My podcast is there, my blog, my books. And I also offer people a free resource. It's called Seven Biblical Insights for Healthy, Joyful, Christ-Centered Relations, Christ-Centered Marriages. Seven Biblical Insights for Christ-Centered, Healthy, Joyful, Christ-Centered Marriages. And yeah, that's my free gift to you. It's a pretty um, short, concise read. You're not going to have to worry about getting a novel here. Just seven things that I think can be very helpful for your marriage. And if you listen to this and there's some way that I can, you know, pray for you or serve you, please be sure to reach out to me. It would be a privilege for me to do so. And Anne, I appreciate you inviting me on. Uh, as always, it's a blessing to to uh, be here with you and be able to talk about these really important topics with you. Yeah, thank you so much for your generous time. I appreciate it. All right. Okay. okay.